the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning. So they, they tell us that the sun is an averaged, average sized star. I guess there are stars in the universe that are smaller than the sun. There are stars that are bigger than the sun. In fact, it's reported they've, they've seen some stars that are 100 times as big as the sun. But overall, our sun is average. Now, to say that sun is average, that does not mean that it's not big, right? I mean, it's big. In fact, um, they estimate that you could fit 1.3 million Earths, 1.3 million planet Earths inside the volume of the sun. You know how big the universe is? It, imagine, if we could shrink the entire universe down, just shrink it down to the point where our sun is the size of a penny, all right? At that scale, the nearest star to the sun would be 350 miles away. That's like Toronto, all right? That's how much distance is between these stars. They, they estimate that there are over 200 billion stars in our galaxy. Milky Way galaxy. And our, our galaxy is just one of between 100, 200 billion galaxies in the observable universe. I mean, there's more out there that they can't see. It's just the universe is that enormous. Now, why am I sharing all this? Because God made the universe. And because verse 6 says, Christ Jesus is in very nature God. That's what we just heard. In, in your relationships with one another, have the mind, same mindset as Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in very nature God. Now, that, that the, the tense of that word being is, is a grammatical form that it just conveys the idea of ongoing, continuous, non-stop action. So this is not saying that there was a moment in time when Christ became God. No, this, this is talking about prior existence. And when you're talking about prior existence in terms of divinity, this is, the, the implication is that Christ Jesus has always existed in the form of God. Just try to conceptualize that. Christ Jesus has always existed. But before there were any uh, stars in the sky, before there were any birds in the air, any, before there were any fish in the sea, any trees in the forest, before there were any angels in heaven or demons in hell, Christ Jesus has always been. He's always been God. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was 
the Word. And you read on. It's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The writer of the book of Hebrews quoted uh, from Psalm 102. Psalm 102 is written about Yahweh, and he said, the, the author of Hebrews, this is talking about Jesus. This is what he said about Jesus. So, uh, Hebrews 1, verse 10 to 12. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. When... when uh, Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey that Palm Sunday so many years ago. When he, when he entered Jerusalem, the religious leaders of that city, they heard the crowds shouting Hosanna. They saw the people waving, waving the palm branches, and it kind of embarrassed them. It just seemed like this is, this is too much. This is over the top. Nobody should receive that kind of praise. So in Luke chapter 19, verse 39, it says this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. You know, you know what Jesus said? Luke, Luke 19, verse 40. He said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I'm not exactly sure what he meant by that. But get, it's, it's, like, it's almost like he's saying, listen, you, there's no way. You cannot stop the creation from praising the creator. You can't stop this. Romans 9, verse 5 says, Christ is God over all, forever praised. Christ is, he, he's forever praised, always, continually, throughout all eternity and for all eternity. Jesus Christ is being praised. So listen, if the crowds won't praise him, the stones will. If the stones won't praise him, the angels will. If the angels won't praise him, God the Father will. But he will be praised. Christ will be praised. Now, the reason the religious leaders couldn't recognize the praiseworthiness of Christ, and let's, let's you know, cut them some slack. The reason they couldn't say this, see this, is because of the form in which he came to them. End of verse 6 in our passage today says, He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That is, something to be held on to and exploited. Verse 7 says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So when, when the religious leaders saw Jesus entering Jerusalem, I mean, no wonder they were confused. All they saw was this carpenter, this construction worker riding on a donkey, right? What they didn't realize was that their city was being visited by the eternal Son of God in human flesh. They, didn't, they couldn't see who he was. Why? Well, because, because he made himself nothing. He, he took the nature of a servant. He was in human likeness. There was a, a, a Japanese theologian named Kazuki Koyama who wrote a book with the title the three-mile-an-hour God. And with that phrase, the three-mile-an-hour God, he's talking about the miracle of the incarnation. See, see the, uh, the amount of time that it takes a typical person to walk 
one mile is 20 minutes. So I guess the average human walking speed is three miles an hour. And, and, and Koyama was saying that through the incarnation, isn't this something, the one who formed the galaxies by his word, the one who holds the planets in, in, in his hands, he chose, he chose to take unto himself a human body that could not travel any faster than three miles an hour. Like through the incarnation, God the Son slowed himself down to our speed so he could walk with us. The other day, I saw this family crossing a street at an intersection, and it kind of annoyed me because they were taking so long to get across the street. Come on, will you, will you speed it up here? Why are they walking so slowly? That's what I'm asking myself. Why are these people so slow? And then I realized... Their grandma was walking with them. This little old lady with a cane. And, 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 the, and they were slowing her, themselves down to her speed. And listen, isn't that what you do when you love someone? When, when you love someone, you don't rush ahead. You don't leave them behind. You don't, you, when you love someone, you willingly slow yourself down to their speed. Listen, through the incarnation, God the Son slowed himself down so he could walk with us. And then, then he slowed himself down even more. Koyama writes, Jesus Christ walked towards the full stop. He lost his mobility. He was nailed down. He writes, what could be slower than nailed down. And that's what it says in verse 8. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. What, what, what is, why did Paul write even death on a cross? I mean, all death is bad. Why even death on a cross? I'll, I'll tell you why. Historians tell us Historians tell us that Roman crucifixion was perhaps the most horrifying form of execution that existed in, in the ancient world. One uh, modern theologian, James Cone, has suggested that the only thing in our world that comes even close to it would be lynching. It was just, it was just horrible. Crucifixion was slow, it was torturous, it was brutally painful, and more than anything else, it was degrading. A person who was crucified was just stripped of every ounce of human dignity that they had. And, and this was especially the case for those who grew up in the Jewish world. You see, based, based on a, a verse in the book of Deuteronomy, verse, first century Jews, they believed that anyone who was crucified was damned. Anyone who was crucified had been rejected by God. The verse was Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. It says, anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. God has rejected that person. That adds some meaning, doesn't it? Adds some meaning to the words that Christ said while he was dying. Matthew 27, verse 46. He said, my God, my God, why have you, what? Why have you forsaken me? So, physically, psychologically, socially, theologically, crucifixion, it was the 
worst kind of death imaginable. And so here's what this passage says. Being in very nature God, Christ Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, by, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote those words to the, uh, the members of the church in ancient Philippi. He wrote these, these words basically for two reasons. One is he wrote these words to call the people of that church to an attitude of humility. It, it seems that there were some individuals in that congregation who had the habit of putting their own desires and their own preferences and their own wishes ahead, ahead of everyone else. They were like the... Uh, they were like the seagulls in that movie, Finding Nemo. You ever see Finding Nemo? There's this scene where this little fish is on the boat dock, and, and all these seagulls see it, and, and they all start to say the same thing at the same time. Mine, 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 mine. And that's this, I guess that's the way some of the people in that church were behaving. That their, their chief desire in all things was to get their way. And so the apostle says to them in verse 5, In your relationships with one another... Have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Now, you'll, you'll notice there, he's not talking primarily about their behavior. Say please, say thank you, say you're sorry. He's not talking about their behavior. He's talking about their attitude, isn't he? Their mindset. He's talking about the way that they viewed themselves in relationship to others. Now, so what, would, what does that mean? What would it mean to have the mindset of Christ Jesus in your relationships with others? Well, we don't have to guess at, at that because in the verses right before this, the apostle told, him, told us what he meant. Here's what he says, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Imagine what, it, imagine what it would be like to be part of a congregation where, ev where everyone was just pursuing to have the mindset of Christ Jesus in their relationship with each other. Or what, or what would a family be like if, if, if people were, were, were desiring to exhibit the mindset of Christ in their relationship to each other? It, it would be amazing. So that's one reason he wrote this. One reason the apostle wrote these words was just to call them to humility. The, the second reason he wrote this is because he wanted to give them hope. You ever struggle to... You ever struggle to feel a sense of hope? You just feel like, you know, things are bad and they're getting worse. Maybe you, you see the shootings in the school or the suffering of the poor. Maybe you see just the widespread of rejection of God's standards of morality in our society. Or maybe you look at your own life. You see struggles and disappointment and, and heartbreak. You ever just, we all, we all know what I'm talking about. It's, just, it's hard sometimes to feel hopeful about the future. I think the people in the church of Philippi probably struggled with this. They, they knew that their apostle was writing this letter to them from prison. The man who started their church was in jail. 
And, and they themselves, you read in chapter 1, they themselves were suffering severe persecution for their faith. And then in chapter 3, you read that false teachers had infiltrated their, their, their ranks, trying to destroy the people with destructive heresies. And, and then in chapter 4, can you imagine the heartbreak of, of these people? You read in chapter 4 that some of their leaders were fighting with each other, dividing over petty, silly arguments. It just would have been so easy for them to completely give up hope. But what did the apostle say to them? He said, Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, took, took on our nature, humbled himself, died on a cross. And then what happened? Verse 9, God exalted him. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's, this is what God has done and is committed to doing. It gives us hope. There, there are some lines in a poem by T.S. Eliot. The lines say this, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Now, T.S. Eliot was a great poet, but he was wrong about the end of the world. Human history will end neither with a bang nor with a whimper. Listen, human history will end with worship. Amen? It will, it will end with every knee, angelic, human, demonic, every knee, Paul says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, bowing in, 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 in submission at the name of Jesus. And it will end with every tongue, the, the tongues of those who praised him on Palm Sunday, the tongues of those who questioned his right to cleanse the temple, the, the, the tongues of those who a few days later called out for his crucifixion, the tongues of those who wept when he was laid in the tomb. It will end with every tongue. Listen, even those tongues today that mock Jesus and, and deny Jesus, it will end with every tongue acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you know that's going to happen? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, uh, my brother, my sister, we have hope. A hope that cannot be extinguished. And I know sometimes it feels really dark. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it feels very dark. But listen, believer in Christ, we know how the story ends, right? Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you say that with me? Jesus Christ is Lord. Someday every tongue will confess that, so we might as well get used to it now. Say it again. Jesus Christ is Lord. Tim Keller wrote this. He said, in, in Jesus, we find infinite majesty, yet complete humility, perfect justice, yet boundless grace, absolute sovereignty, yet utter submission, all sufficiency in himself, yet entire trust and dependence on God. So why, why, all right, why does this give us hope? I'll tell you why. Believer in Christ, right now, right now, seated in the throne room of heaven, in absolute control over everything that happens everywhere. 
is the one who loves you so much he died for you. So, walk in humility, live with hope. Let's pray together. Father, the, the praises that they gave our Savior when he entered Jerusalem, the, the praises that they gave when they waved the palm branches, those praises ended a few days later. But the praise of our Savior will will ring on for all eternity. We, we pray that as we enter this holy week that our knowledge of Christ's decision to humble himself, that that will lead us down the path of humbling our own selves. And that our knowledge of your decision to exalt our Savior, that that will fill us with hope, that we will trust him, that we will trust him. God, give us grace to trust him. We ask this for the glory of his name. Amen.